Welcome to the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network, home of the Dresden Files podcast, 42 Entertainment, and many others. More podcasts like this one can be found at brokenjars.xyz. Grace Cook! I declare bankruptcy! Bears eats Battlestar Galactica. Depression! Isn't that just a fancy word for feeling bummed out? Why, you ignorant slut! Not only the years we've been at war, but from the moment as a child when we realized that the world could be conquered. Welcome to the Great Scott, the Office podcast. I always mess that up. I'm Jay Ray, and with me is my desk mate, Jacob. Hey, how's it going, everybody? How you doing, uh, Jay Ray? Not too bad, man. How about yourself? Uh, not bad. Like we were talking about last time, it's looking like we're going to hit that hoodie weather this week. Yeah, I was trying to rock a hoodie today, but uh, 50-50. Could wear it sometimes, I had to take it off other times, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> trying so hard <laughs> um yeah man what else is going on anything uh you know just working watching all the office uh oh yeah watching the office of course, of course. yeah <laughs> thing is i watch the office aside from this podcast as well like, right, right right in in the last month we've done a full loop of the show that's intense yeah we um my girlfriend's still going through it on her own, but we've got a couple other shows that we, uh, you know, we do 30 Rock, we do Parks and Rec, I do Always Sunny, so. Right, well, and it's going to slow down now that the uh, new season has started up, which, yeah. like, the new seasons of, uh, you know, All TV the other shows. current yeah. shows, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, If sense. you're not watching Superstore, highly recommend it. Superstore? I don't even know what that is, dude. Uh, it's a uh, it's it's sort of a workplace comedy, but where they're working is essentially Walmart. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, had like had like a semi short season, but it's really funny, really well done. So much recommends all those out there in podcast land. It's created by Justin Spitzer, who has worked on Scrubs and Courting Alex. Hmm. Oh, and he did a couple episodes of The Office. There you go. Did I stutter? Body language. All right. I will check it out then. Cool. All right, but we're not here to talk about that. We're <laughs> here to talk about The Office. Uh, today we're going to be wrapping up Season 2, getting into Season 3. And our first episode today is Conflict Resolution, which was... I uh, lost, my, lost my place. It was written by... Greg Charles. Daniels and oh, written, yeah. directed by Charles McDougal, who also did Dwight's speech and the Christmas party episode. So he's done some, you know, pretty good episodes. Uh, this this um, uh, yes. So this 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 episode starts off with um, they're kind of talking about like. Um, Pam is talking about how she didn't give Angela save the date because she didn't want anyone at her wedding called a hussy. Who called her a hussy, yeah. Yes. Uh, so this this episode gets going with really the, the main thrust of it is Michael overhears Toby and Oscar. And Oscar's really pissed off about Angela's baby poster that she got him for Christmas. And normally he can't hear it, but they were doing something, so he had to do it in the conference room. And then Michael decides to fix all the problems in the office, which 
of course, he's going to um, create many, many, many more uh, problems. Right. Hmm. Um. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, do you? So just just to start off, like, so like you said, the whole episode kind of starts because Michael is overhearing uh, what's going on in the conference room, and I, Toby makes a reference that normally happens in the break room. Right. Do you really think just because it's in the annex that uh, it's that far out of everybody's ability to hear that people are always screaming at Toby about how unhappy they are about their fellow deskmates? I mean, I would assume that it's done there to keep the noise down. Um, So down. So maybe it's noticeable, but. Right. But it might be one of those things where generally it's not screaming and maybe he was just really pissed off about it. Right. Uh, That's fair. That's fair. This early in this episode, we get the first mention of Kevin's band. We don't have a name for it yet, but we know what's happening. Right. So, which you know comes to fruition next episode with Scrantonicity. Um. But in sort of the B storyline, is everyone getting their ID badges? Yeah. Which we never ever see again. Yeah, you know, because because um, there's a joke in there where Dwight uh, Jim says he should take his photo with Dwight so that they can meet each other to come into the parking lot. But it's not like Hank checks IDs at the door, mm-hmm. um, and like you said, no one wears them throughout the day, so it's kind of like a one-off kind of joke, right? And then Dwight has this whole big thing about how he you know, he once came in with his spud gun that shoots at 60 psi. You know, what if I was deranged and you get a sense that maybe he is deranged? Yeah. But I, I did a little research, and I know it's a potato and not water, but water shot out of a nozzle at 65, at 60 PSI, is moving about 150 miles an hour. So when a 60 PSI potato is probably moving at like 80, 70, 80 miles an hour probably. Yeah, I mean, that's going to dent your car. <laughs> or your face. Yeah, or your face. <laughs> Um, but this is a really good episode for like we're it's just building up everything for the finale. Uh, yeah. You know, for this this and this and Casino Night are essentially the like they they could easily have been a to be continued in the middle and it would have felt normal. Right. Yeah, it's true. <clears throat> um, you know, and I kind of like that. Uh, it's. Harder, I guess, to kind of just jump in and just watch this episode randomly. But it's just such a like a good quality episode because, you know, uh, you get to see the way all the characters interact with each other in a way that, you know, is going to become really normal moving forward in later seasons. Mm-hmm. But we haven't seen that yet. And it's kind of like nice to get that everybody dislikes Angela and it's not just Angela or Angela dislikes everybody else or whatever, you right. know, like yeah, you, things you, that are maybe hinted at, but now we know you get a lot of character development in this one. Uh, you get a lot of creed in this episode, which is hilarious. Yeah. And in the next episode, um, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, it's good for that. You know, it's really fun because you get everyone ends up interacting with everybody on some kind of level, right. which is really nice. Um, I mean, what are 
I mean, I don't know if you plan on going through each one, but like, what is like, say, off the top of your head, your favorite complaint that Michael reads out loud to everybody? I mean, the, the probably the most classic one is Creed has a distinct old man smell. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and he's like, "Yep, I sprout mung beans." <laughs> yeah, that's gnarly. I mean, I had to Google mung beans like way back when I first watched it because I didn't know if they were a real thing. Do you have to sprout them to eat them, though? I wonder. Can't you just munch on them regularly? But it's gross. He's got he's got that damp towel in his drawer, and you, he pulls it out, and it's these little sprawled, gross things sticking out. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good one. I, I like Phyllis's kind of back to back rejection. But we're friends. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, but we're close. And Stanley's like, we sit close. <laughs> um, yeah, and just kind of her realization that. Um, She's kind of more bubbly, especially this early in the show. Right. She hasn't. Um, she hasn't really moved into the full, like, full-on bitchy Phyllis yet. Right, because she's still kind of putting up with Angela. Mm-hmm. So, uh, although she does get a good, good shot in at Angela during uh, this nice shot of everybody in the office being kind of grumpy. Right. So she, she kind of like stiff shoulders Angela. <laughs> Well, she's trying to leave the break room. It's pretty nice. And then she flat doesn't she flat out tell Angela because they're going through like, uh, I think Phyllis had had a complaint about Angela about how she was mean to her or something That's like correct. that, and Phyllis is just like, I don't like you. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, it's about the parking spot. Oh, right, it's the parking spot. Yeah. <laughs> and it's great because like Angela's so wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Because she's uh, Phyllis goes on this little rant about how there's no assigned parking, so of course she wouldn't remember that that's Angela's spot. But like she just said, it's, there's no assigned parking, so it's not really Angela's spot. Mm-hmm. And I guess Angela hounds her, makes her move her car, takes the spot. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then she whispers, "I don't like you." And Michael just kind of like ignores it. He's just like, "Yeah, it's fine." Yeah, and this is also when we get our our timeline for Dwight and Angela starting to hook up because he she redacts all of the stuff against him six from you know starting six months ago or something. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's not like they were together that long though. Definitely only during season two. So there's no hints during season uh, one. anything that yeah yeah mm-hmm. can't for anything from season one right uh, which which is, yeah I think is pretty pretty right um, you know and then we also have like Mike with the, the binder it's like there, oh there's a third fifth solution win 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 right and, and how he just like he, he wants like he feels like he's doing it so much more for himself even though he's he thinks he's doing it for the other people in the office. Right. And um, we never find out why it's win-win-win. Like what the difference is between win-win and win-win-win. Win-win-win. No, no, no. They they say something about that. He says something about how the win-win-win is because the moderator wins for creating a win-win solution for the two people in the conflict. But are you saying then that win-win-win takes over win-win-win? Win-win? Right. Yeah. So there is no win-win. There is no win-win. Essentially, win lose, compromise. Well, I guess lose lose. Lose lose. Right. Win lose, compromise, and win win win. And but according to the binder, win win. Right. I see. Okay. All right. That's acceptable. <laughs> There's also the great Creed complaint about the uh, the bathroom only being for white people. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, and no one really brings that up to like, okay. <laughs> just like uh, move on. I do want to point out, though, a uh, fun fact, too. And I, you know, it's pretty obvious, but I'm going to say it anyways, that the poster that everybody's fighting about is uh, the poster that Angela got during the Christmas party. Right. From? Toby. Was it? Oh, it was from Toby. That's right. Fun, funny enough, then Toby's the one who has to deal with the uh, the moderation of the battle over the poster. <laughs> Do we ever see the 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 poster shirt? Is that ever seen again? No. Well, Oscar ends up taking that photo, his uh, ID with the poster, like duct tape to the top mm. of his shirt. So I guess his ID is supposed to have the picture of the poster. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Angela just like has it in her thing. Yeah, uh, she should take like a Polaroid of her and stick it in her stupid separator. <laughs> the the uh, them fighting about the poster is pretty funny. They yeah, thought she's all like, you know, it makes me feel like God has a nice sense of humor, and the babies are the artists. And Oscar's like, really? It makes you feel all of that? She's like, yes, yes, it does. Then Oscar just starts railing on her and. How terrible like the parents are who made their babies do this. <laughs> yeah, and it's weird too with Angela's his like, soul. Yeah. What's the thing? I, I don't Angela's like religiousness, right? Mm-hmm. Is sometimes like I don't really know where it takes her because I feel like the baby thing might kinda rub up against negatively the her religious tones. Cause like maybe it's a little too you know garish or something like that because like she likes muted tones and she dresses very conservatively so like a baby playing a saxophone in a diaper with a a trilby or whatever maybe you feel like might rub her the wrong way but she digs it yeah well and it also comes back up um later when jan brings up at brings astrid to the office in season five astrid Esther, yes, and yeah. she she stages them like you know, like a bouquet of fruit and vegetables and stuff, and starts taking her starts taking Astrid pitch, Astrid's picture. Yeah, so at least she's consistent in that regard. That's fair. Mm-hmm. And we also learned that Michael's got giant giant complaint files. Yeah, like how he isn't fired is beyond me. Just just from the complaint files. I feel like Toby does kind of understand that people kind of get over it if they just say it out loud. That's probably why. And I, you know, we talk about some fireball offenses, but I, I would imagine generally he's more just annoying as opposed to like catastrophic for the work environment. Right. So, yeah, it's probably more instances of like, why did they have to work late? Because he didn't want to do this job or, uh, you know, this offensive joke that he told about mm-hmm. some ethnicity or something, you know, it's probably more like that. And maybe right. you know, everybody and, kind of gives Michael some slack because he's kind of like not the brightest bulb well, in the And back. I wonder if corporate um, kind of goes easy on Michael because he, they think they're going to get rid of him pretty quick anyway. Hmm. You know, cause because of like the, the downsizing, closing? yeah, right. And how they know he's not going to be like at least when they tell when they tell Michael that he's not he's a severance package person, not a. Yeah, that's true. That I mean, there's this, um, you know, what I like about doing this podcast is like you know we get to talk about some of these like weird inconsistencies. So like, we know that Dwight is the number one paper salesman of northeast pennsylvania or whatever right right um 
and no one really talks about Jim's own prowess as a great sales representative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, like you're saying, Michael, maybe everybody's okay with putting up with him because he could maintain the ship before it sinks in a couple months. But later on in the show, it's proven that both of them are like really capable at their job. Like Jim obviously gets, you know, does well enough that he can become like assistant co-manager of the branch. Mm-hmm. And Michael is such a good manager that he is the only existing uh, office in a company that ends up going bankrupt and being sold to another company, you know? Right. And I was, I was thinking about that. And, you know, it, it really didn't jump. Michael, the branch didn't start doing really well until Stanford closed. Right. And so I think there's something about that that sort of jump-started. Because, like, those customers maybe came over. Right, you would think that all of them would come over, and since they... Um, because they barely kept any staff, right? I mean, right, before I mean, the season's over, only Andy's the person who stays. Well, right, and so yeah. they lose everybody else except for Andy, so that's a ton of clients, and we find out in the convention episode how much better the volume is for Stanford than it is for Scream. Right, that's true, yeah, yeah. But then, and Michael is a good sales rep, not necessarily a great manager, but he does that thing with Hammer Mill, which also mm-hmm. is kind of like a huge thing for them. Well, it, it's kind of one of those things like Michael Michael probably would be a world beater if he could stay focused. Because you know, when push comes to shove, he, he always comes through in right. a big, big way. It's just that he gets bored, I guess. Yeah, or, or like you said, he's just focusing on the wrong thing. He'd rather make... Threat level midnight than a, a sale. <laughs> right, right. Um, so there's a. So we also find out too that there's a specific folder for Jim versus Dwight grievances. <laughs> or or just Dwight. Writing. Yeah, just Dwight. Because <laughs> uh, they have a, a weekly meeting at fr- on Friday to, for Dwight to discuss the various pranks that Jim has done to him that week. Mm-hmm. Um. So some of the ones that were mentioned were um, Dwight uh, told Dwight that there was an abandoned infant in the women's bathroom, so he had to run in and see mm-hmm. Meredith on the, on the toilet. Uh, Dwight hit himself on the in his on the head with his phone, which I think is like super genius, right? Oh, By like yeah. slowly weighing up his phone. That was a good one. Uh, uh, paid everybody five dollars to call him Dwayne. Uh, did a macro so that every time he typed in Dwight in his computer, it said diapers. Placed a bloody glove in his desk and tried to convince him he committed a murder. That was hilarious. Uh, I think that one, I would have liked to have seen that one on in film because I think that would have been hilarious. Yeah, it's kind of parallel to me to like when Jim's trying to persuade him that he was the one who did pot. Mm -hmm. He's like, how much weed did you smoke? (laughs) Um, Let's see, moving his desk over to the cop here, which is like kind of the sad one. Uh, yeah, you can kind of tell during this whole bit, like, Jim's like, oh, yeah, that was great. That was great. And then, like, at the end of it, he's like, man, I've wasted a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Well, so and there's some interesting things about that, too, right? Because he uses this on the outside as a reason for him to leave Scranton, right? Obviously, there's some Pam stuff. But he says that Scranton doesn't offer him any opportunity for advancement, plus his pranks on Dwight are, like, kind of him not doing anything, right? Kind of stagnating. Right. But in a couple episodes from now, we go to the convention 
and within three minutes of talking to Dwight again for the first time in a while, he pulls a joke on him. Right. Actually, in Gay Witch Hunt, he continues to pull a joke with the Gadar bit. Um, and then later on, when he finally does come back to Scranton during a Benihana Christmas, there's that awkward like moment where he doesn't want to prank Dwight anymore. Um, and he still ends up doing it. So his his like uh, his cold turkey of pranking Dwight never really lasts much longer than a couple hours. Right. Yeah. He uh, he loves to prank Dwight. <laughs> yeah. He... <laughs> uh, so it doesn't matter what state he's in, he's going to do it. So something, and it's something I haven't really tracked closely, but you know, it says Jim says you know he'd been there for four years, but it always seems like it kind of shifts how long. Jim is there. Yeah. Like sometimes he'll say like when Pam started or when Jim started and Pam was already there. But so it's really hard for me to nail down like who started when and everything. Yeah. You know, especially too during that one, uh, the secret episode, they, their phrasing is weird because Mm -hmm. Pam says something to him like when you first started, but like you said, Jim says when you first started, I liked you. So yeah, I don't know who started first either. Right. I feel like maybe Jim, though, only because we've seen old stuff of him. Like, there's that retro picture of him and Dwight mm-hmm. on, like, their first sales call or whatever. And we never really hear any, like, stories about when Pam first started. But maybe that doesn't mean anything. Maybe that just means they didn't care to talk about it. Maybe. Uh, Anyways. Yeah. yeah. And we also get a good feeling, like, for the pam Roar relationship. Mm. about how they uh, start to, like, so he's like, I don't like to bother Roy with this kind of stuff. And Jim's like, you mean your feelings and your hopes and your dreams? He's like, she's like, yes. Yeah. You you get this feeling that, like, oh, there's not really not a good relationship there. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's all, like you said, the whole last couple episodes are really just to kind of push everybody to start progressing the plot to something like that's cathartic by the end of the season. So mm-hmm. it's definitely hitting ahead here. Uh, there's this great shot where like, I think it's right after like Michael's like, Hey, we're gonna, Oh, Dwight finds out. I remember Dwight finds out that Toby has not been sending the stuff. And right. we, this is when a, we learn about the sales manager position in Stanford. Yep. So it's probably why, I mean, by the end of the episode, he's already talking to Jean about it. So we have this idea that he might be going or leaving, which, you know, it makes for a pretty tense thing, knowing that there's only one more episode left. It's like, is Jim going to leave? Are they going to write Jim out of the show? That kind of stuff. Right. Uh, but, like, there's just a shot of the office, and everyone's just, like, so sad. Yeah. And it's just a really great shot, because everyone's just like, you know. <laughs> And then Michael eventually learned that Toby was right and was like, you yeah, know, let's just do this later. And everyone forgets about it. Yeah. And I mean, really, though, it's like it's Dwight, right? He's mm-hmm. kind of like this guy that like is like has a hyper focus when he is. And then when he's not, it's over. So uh, Michael is, can successfully push Dwight to kind of like, you know, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. And right. It's like, OK, Michael, I trust you. And then, yeah, nothing. Yeah, this is like this is when we definitely start to learn about Stanford, and I don't. Has Josh been mentioned yet 
And I think he, because I'm pretty sure he was mentioned in this episode. We saw him in Valentine's Day. Because he was part of that meeting to meet David Wallace. That's right. That's right. So we have seen him before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, lots of foreshadowing this episode with stuff that's going to happen. And then, you know, so this entire episode, Pam is pissed that she gave Angela the save the date. And then, so Jim finally has to come out and be like, hey, it was me. I, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't realize he was going to write anything down. I was just venting. And, like, Pam just looks so just hurt. Like, how could you do this to me? Etc. Yeah. Etc. You know, and maybe it's just the maybe her detachment. Maybe this is her form of detachment where she doesn't see it. She, she you know, she's she has to put two and two together that Jim's really into her. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, maybe she doesn't want to. Yeah, I. Uh, I mean, it's not. I think you have negative feelings toward Pam's behavior in a way that I don't necessarily feel similarly, but I will say her lack of foreseeing what's actually happening between her and Jim Mm -hmm. is kind of like naive of her or something. Um, It's both of their faults really, but she's definitely not blameless just because she's in the relationship, you know, like she should see how Jim feels about her. Right. And you would, you know, it's been hinted at this entire season with, like, the fallout from the booze cruise and the secret episode. And if she if she doesn't at least suspect it, she's just blind or doesn't doesn't want to see it, you know? Right, right. And this is something that just comes up on Reddit. And we've talked a little bit about here already. But, you know, they're so... Really, the only person who isn't at fault here is Roy. Well, I mean, he yeah, he doesn't treat her right, but at least he's not, like, cheating on her. And she's essentially cheating on Roy. And Jim is complicit with it. So, I don't know. Well, she's not cheating on Roy. I mean, it's close. It's definitely, uh, I mean... You probably shouldn't be that close with somebody else, especially when you're engaged, and be that flirty. You know, it's just. Yeah, I mean, I would, I, w- I would agree with like maybe the flirtiness of it, but um, I mean, I, I don't, I can't say it happens all the time, but definitely the way this show paints it is that Roy is not offering what needs to be offered in a proper relationship, and Pam but, has to find it elsewhere. Correct. Yes. Um, so it's not. I mean, it's just kind of. Yeah, I mean, the the show really painted that Roy's the bad guy, regardless, you know? Right. So that you can't ever blame Pam or Jim. Even though you should. <laughs> At least to some extent. I mean, it's not a it's not a cool move on his part, you know, because he's kind of friends with, you know, Jim's kind of friends with Roy. He shouldn't be doing this to a guy, you know. I don't think they're friends at all. It seems like they're kind of friends. Like, it seems like, they, like they're not, like, hanging out after work, but, you know... They don't. They seem to not mind hanging out with each other, or around each other. I mean, I don't. I'd probably disagree with that. I mean, you look at that first episode, that awkward like bit at Pam's desk. What's in the bag? And he just splits right away. Right. I mean, I think they are barely associates. You know. 
Maybe. Um, and I and I also think too that Roy maybe plays up the friendliness with Jim because of like an alpha mentality. You know, like he's a big guy. He's the one with the girlfriend. He's the one who does like the manual labor job. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he like, you know, he calls Jim Halpert. You know, and he makes jokes about like watching over Pam as if like Jim just does whatever Roy does. And this is, I'm mean, you know, and I'm pushing it really more than what it really is. But I think that's kind of more that relationship is that Roy sees Jim as not a threat at all. You know, it could be, it could be. But I mean, it's definitely up for interpretation. You are going to skewer us online. No, Roy's yeah. the worst. <laughs> and to be fair, you know, the best thing that ever happened to Roy was getting dumped. So, well, kind of. I mean, he's still kind of an asshole. Oh, he's still kind of an asshole. But we see him way down the road, and he's like started his own company and really grew himself. You know. Yeah, I mean that's it's because Pam left him, not in that she was holding him back, right? But that he wasn't pushing himself to be anything better. Like him improving to me is kind of like him, like chasing Amy, you know, so to speak. Right. You know, it's him like always trying to like get Pam back, even though he's never actually going to get Pam back, but like trying to be the guy he thinks she deserved. Right, and there's probably some a lot of truth to that. Yeah. Um, I mean, so you have anything else? Because by the end of the episode, there, like you said, Jim is kind of thinking about what he wants to do with his life, and is kind of really thinking about you know the whole transfer concept. At least, mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, even mildly, yeah. I mean, there's there is the group photo scene, which is pretty funny. Um, and I don't know if they meant to do it, but at the very end of the episode, Toby is putting the the box of complaints in the wall of other boxes and it's it's very Ark of the Covenant and it's, I, was, I wonder if that's what they were going for or not. Yeah, I hope so. And I also hope that those are all actually complaints. I yeah. wondered about that. I was like, are these all complaints? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> all right, yeah. So what do you think of this episode? Um, you know, so like I said, I, I did like it a lot. Um, it's not the funnest to just watch randomly, but it's a good one. So I gave it a three out of five win-win-win scenarios. <laughs> uh, I really like this episode. It's like it's not a great – like you wouldn't want this episode to pop up on your shuff- – if you're shuffling right. through episodes. Yeah. Uh, because it's way too much linked to the – the end of the uh, end of the season and really needs to be seen in the context of everything else. Um, but I gave it a 3.75 out of five run-ins with bobblehead Joe. <laughs> That's pretty good. All right. Yep. That sounds reasonable. All right. So we're moving into the season finale for season two, uh, episode 23 casino night which was written by the man himself, Steve Carell, and directed by Ken Quapis. I hate that guy's name. Quapis. Weird consonants after each other, just weird. It's, is it really? I mean, do we know if it's like, is the K silent or do we know? <laughs> no, we don't know. And Wikipedia does not offer a pronunciation guide. Fantastic. He we'll looks probably... like a Quapis, though. 
like we're gonna like meet him sometimes like you've said my name wrong for two years <laughs> i'll be like well you should have picked an easier name bro um uh, yeah so season finale season two casino night um, essentially, the Dunder Mifflin warehouse is going to be turned into a casino to raise money for the Boy Scouts of America. And uh, whoever walks away with the most chips at the end of the night gets a free fridge from Vance Refrigeration, as well as the ability to donate $500 to a charity of their choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the cold open for this is Dwight coming in with his fancy tuxedo, um, family heirloom from his grandfather who was buried in it. How did they get the... <laughs> That's well. That's my question. In a barrel, too, right? Right. Yeah, I think no. you're right. But like, did they dig him up and like, oh look, good suit? Or did like, or like maybe it's like he had the funeral in the tux, lowered into the hole in the barrel, and then stripped and then actually covered. Maybe uh, it's all very weird. <laughs> I mean, knowing the shrewds, they're like, oh, we need a suit. Hey, I know yeah. great grandpa was buried oh. on. Let's just dig him up. That's actually a good point. That could be it, too. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, do you want to wear grandpa's suit or Uncle Steve's suit? Yeah. Um, um, well, so they talk about the different games that can be played, mm-hmm. uh, one of which is roulette. roulette. Mm-hmm. And Jim says he can uh, win at it because of a special power he's got. This, yeah, this is one of the better, this is one of my favorite pranks. Yeah. Is because you get the, you know, the, the Pam assist. He's like, yeah, I can just move things with my mind. And like, Dwight's being all flamboyant, but I was like, all right, everybody, Jim's going to try and move the, you know, whatever with his mind, and he's just sitting there, and you can see, like, everyone's kind of just, like, watching, and it's hilarious, because you see, like, Roy just kind of, like, smirking, because he he knows what's coming. Right, right. And then, so, you know, Jim does his hand thing, and Pam moves the, uh, Moves the coat rack with the umbrella. And, you know, Dwight's just like, the fuck? And there's, you know, scenes of this going on, like, Dwight trying to do things for the rest of the episode. Him trying to, like, move his bobblehead or move something else with his mind. Because if Jim can do it, he ought to be able to do it. Well, what's great, too, is that Jim goes in with no plan. Like, Dwight calls him out, and Jim's like, okay, I'll try um, and then Pam comes in with that assist. So I always wonder though, what would have Jim? What would have? What would Jim have done, had Pam not like saved a day there? Yeah, that's like, a good question. Uh, you think he probably just like, I don't know, try to talk his way out of it, or just make fun of him, or whatever. Yeah, or like, yeah, and, and any number of things maybe. But uh, yeah, so good on Pam for helping that prank come to fruition. Right. It, you know, the look on Pam's face is great. She's all smiley and like gives Jim the little wink and Yeah. Yeah, and that's it's a good Pam moment. Mm-hmm. And I mean it's kind of a cold open. I mean they It's really, connected. It's yeah. connected, but it's like it feels like connecting it to roulette is the way to get the joke to land instead of just doing it randomly. Right. Yeah, um, because even, too, that joke is referenced really quickly right after the opening credit because mm-hmm. uh, Dwight goes over there and does the whole yeah. hugging of the coat rack for <laughs> wires or anything. Which is, a yeah, it's just a great scene. Uh, but in this, when we come out, out of the cold open, Michael's on the phone with Jan. 
Jane's kind of berating him for being, you know, fourth, fourth out of five branches. Right. So that she oversees. So there's more branches. She, but she oversees five of them. Yeah. Because uh, we always have that d- discussion of how big is Dunder Mifflin really. Yeah. Um, yeah, because the maybe too she only uh, helps manage like. That heard this region, you know, right? Like this east, north side of America, or, yeah, or whatever, something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's all I could think of. But it's not great. I actually read something that they they tried to find towns for branches with similar sizes to Scranton, like city sizes, with funny mm-hmm. names. So I have like Utica and Nashua. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> they're true. just looking for funky names. And then we have Jan, or Michael asked Jan to come to casino night, and she's like, no. And so Carol calls. Actually, yeah. So Carol calls, and he's like, hey, because she needs a signature for his mortgage insurance, which he's been living in that condo for a long time. I don't know how he didn't have mortgage insurance. Right. So maybe it was, maybe it's a new policy. I don't know. Um, but so he asks her, she says yes. Then Jan calls back and says yes as well. Right. So he's got two, two dates. <laughs> and Dwight <laughs> is the worst wingman ever. <laughs> yeah, he just doesn't like get it at all. But mm-hmm. um, I, I do like one of my favorite Michael lines. There's a, there's a couple of great Michael lines in this episode, but when he says, I'm going to drop a deuce on everybody, mm-hmm. it's just like the sheer panic in his eyes when he <laughs> says it is like amazing. And so this is when we register that Jan, there is something more there with Jan and Michael right? in this episode. Cause she does, you know, just, she just brings the bag and was planning on staying with Michael and all that stuff. Yeah, well, it's because it's interesting, too, because I, I feel like Michael's invitation to Carol isn't insincere, but it's like a lighthearted gesture, you know? It's like, hey, if you're not doing anything, you should come on down. It's not necessarily like a date. Um, and it's only when Jan says she's going to come when Michael starts being concerned that Carol's coming also, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, which is, I also, I think, kind of uncharacteristic, because I think usually if Michael has plans with a woman, he has the intention of, like, dating them. Uh, but it really felt like he just kind of said it to Carol Lucy Goosey just for the invite as opposed to something sincere, you know? Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I never really got that feeling. I'd have to think about it. Yeah. Um, but so Michael starts to explain the, that whole shtick about how, you know, they're donating and what the deal is or whatever. And then another great exchange happens about uh, Michael wanting to donate to... Uh, Comic Relief. Comic Relief, yeah. And he, yeah, <laughs> and he tries to change it to uh, Afghanistanis with AIDS. And then, uh, yeah, and it's, it's just a great interchange. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't do it justice by just saying it out loud, but watch that episode. And it's just, a, it's so great and it's so quick. And like everybody in the office is participating in mm-hmm. it. You can um, see Jim just like pop it like with little things. He's like, guys, the Afghanistan annies. Afghanistan yeah. annies. <laughs> so good. So an observation I made. So um, Oscar does not like the fact that they're donating to the Boy Scouts. 
Yes. So I'm wondering if that was written that way because, especially at the time, the Boy Scouts had a very anti-gay stance. So, yeah, I had thought about that too. Um, but I also, yeah, it could have it could have been that, or it could have been like him just legitimately just wanting to have donated to an organization that like really needs money. Mm. So I could see it both ways. He doesn't really seem like a gay rights activist, though. No, but I just kind of wondered if it was a backhand thing. And then we have this great bit, that great bit with Michael where um, and Toby, and we get the great why do you, I hate everything about the way you choose to be line from Michael. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he, <laughs> Toby's like, it's a school night, and there's going to be booze and gambling in our dangerous warehouse. Do I need to keep going? Right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really good. Um, I mean, and there's like, it's a moment too where Toby's like, he's totally fucking right. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah, he's just super spot on. And a lot of times, like, I can see kind of how he's annoying. You know, he's a little Charlie Brownish and he's a little slow and he's a little bland, but. He was like spot on. Like, yeah, you should definitely not have children in a cas- like in a casino warehouse on a school night with right. fire and all that jazz. And yeah, we also this is where we learn about like Dink and Flicka and fleece mm-hmm. it out and go in Mach five and like that. Daryl doing that, you can tell he's just so happy. He's fucking with Michael. He's just so proud of it. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, and we find out Hooters, Hooters is catering, so you know at least the food would be all right. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. Hey man, Hooters got good wings. Uh, I don't remember the last time I ate at Hooters, but but as restaurants go, they're very they're very tame. <laughs> restaurants, yeah, that's true. It's true. <clears throat> um. um. Yeah, so let's see. I mean, from there, it just jumps pretty much right into casino night. Right. Uh, so we also learned about Beekman Properties, who we I assume Dwight buys the building from in season six. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and I believe that, well, as like a behind-the-scenes thing, this was not shot in the warehouse. This was like shot at another location that made look like a warehouse that was turned into a casino. Hmm. Yeah, so it was not the same set. Just uh, FYI, yeah. Right, but we also learned that Pam's got to find a band because Roy really just cares about the bachelor party. Yes. And, you know, we, we find out about the great till death do us rock, which, come on, I, I, would, I would go see those guys. That sounds awesome. Yep, I'm with you. Uh, and then Scrantonicity with the great police and Sting in the Police cover band that uh, Kevin's a part of. Which ends up becoming sort of a running thing for a lot of the rest of the show. Yeah, yeah, it comes up a lot. And maybe not even just like Scrantonicity, but his music, you know, he is he's in Kevin and the Zits in season eight with Daryl and Andy. So lots of music related stuff with uh Kevin there. Yeah, his uh his video annoys me because like it's not lined up with whatever the audio is. <laughs> and uh so it's just like random 
shots of him playing the drums with all like the effects or whatever. But it's definitely not syncing up, and it doesn't really matter. And I'm just being picky, but <laughs> man, that comes by, and I'm just like, you recorded the audio, you recorded the video. Why not just pair it up? It just annoys the crap out of me. It's fine. It's fine. A wedding band. <laughs> I know. I get it, but <laughs> damn it. <laughs> uh, the casino night was pretty fun uh, to see. You know, everyone kind of milling around, and how it's not just the office people. There's all the other people from the business park and all, all that cool stuff. So. Yeah, I mean, because it seems like it's being put on by Dunder Mifflin, though, right? It kind of feels that way, but it's also Michael who's probably just like taking. Just kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense too. Um. Then we have the great, uh, great creed exchange. Where it's like, yeah, I steal stuff all the time. I quit carrying a long time ago. Yeah, he <laughs> just like the amount of supplies I've stolen from here. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, well, and then so you, also, too, in the beginning of this scene, we see what you're talking about with uh, Dwight's inability of being a wingman, right? Like literally showing up 25 seconds after whatever is important happened already. Right. Like Carol shows up and is talking and he's like, hey. And he comes up to her. He's literally walks right past Carol and says, codename Remax is here. Yeah. Which I wonder what the hell that infers, right? Like Remax doesn't have anything to do with realty, does it? They're a realty company. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Lan Jevonson, I think is what they called I them. know. Even worse. Yeah. Even worse. <laughs> it's like, come on, guys. You can do a little better. Well, like, he's talking to that person, right? So, like, right. why even come up to share the secret information anymore? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, and then, so that all happens and then they start playing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so right off the bat, we've got Michael versus Toby going all in firsthand. Right. Um, and, uh, Michael botches it up, tries to talk his way out of it, t- trying to threaten Toby into, you know, uh, taking his bet back, which the dealer won't let him do rightfully so. Right. And well, Michael ends up losing. This yeah. scene bugs me a little bit because that's not how it would work. Like, especially because it seems like it's a tournament style. But either way, you have to run out the hand since there's been a bet and a call. So Michael still could have had the chance to win, and he could he even if he had got up and left and his hand won, he still would have been awarded the chips. So, well, what are they playing? Hold them? Yeah. Because uh, I don't recall how many cards were already on the table when they were betting as is. Because are we under the impression that they were just dealt those hands and they bet? Uh, that's what it seemed like, yes. So there was no river? There, yeah. You don't see like the dealer run it out. Uh, you never know what Michael has, but... Yeah. Um, is Texas Hold'em? Yep, 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 yep. I will say, though... Uh, so there's this quick talking head with Toby right after that where he says he wants to keep chasing that high, right, after beating Michael. Right. Um, one of the uh, director commentary moments for this episode is them talking about how this was supposed to be the start of a Toby addiction storyline where he was going to be addicted to gambling because he always wanted to feel how it felt to beat Michael at poker. 
Um, and it didn't come to fruition, but I think that I th- I like to think about it like happening off camera, behind, like while the show's still happening, that he's dealing with this really hardcore gambling addiction because he just wants to know what it feels like to beat Michael again. I wonder if he. Uh, I wonder if the writers sort of gave that to Kevin because Kevin ends up having a big time gambling addiction. That's true. Is that has that not uh, happened at all yet? Not yet. Like we learned that he's, he's he's a poker player in this uh, in this episode. Oh, we talked about this, right? Because I I felt like he was lying, but you said it's probably true. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, in reality, there was, I looked it up. There is no tw- there was no twenty five hundred deuce to seven um, event that year at the World Series in two thousand and two. Right, right. Um, but I think for the show, it seems right. And the way he, the way the actor sort of moves around the cards and the table, it looks more normal. Because, you, like, you spend enough time at a poker table, you, you get to learn how, like, you can tell someone's experience by how they move. And he moves like someone who's played a lot of cards. Well, that's why I thought he was faking it. Because I was under the impression that he just watched those things and came in and was trying to bluff everybody by like intimidating them. Um, and then him like losing to Phyllis for no reason. It's kind of him being like, all right, well my whole, my whole charade is up. Well, I mean, he, he did have a good hand. He had, a, he had a set of Queens, which most people, especially depending on the board, which you really can't see, but it was all, I, I you catch part of it and it's like three low clubs and something. Right. So, I. Uh, I have to assume there was a queen on board as well. So it was the correct decision given the, at least from what I can tell, given the information, he should have gone all in like he did. Sure. Um, And then, you know, because Phil didn't even know she had won. She's like, oh, whatever, screw it. And he got unlucky. So I I don't know. I think think it's a legit, it's legitimate. uh, Yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. And I then, won't instantly call him a liar then. <laughs> um, and then you have this great thing with uh, Michael just butchering a Phil Hellmuth quote where he's like, if luck wasn't involved, I'd always be winning. And the correct quote, if I can remember it, is if luck weren't involved, I'd win every one of them or something like that. Something like that, yeah. But that's kind of Michael's deal too, right? He's always misquoting stuff for his own... This seems super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, we have, we have Dwight playing craps, and Angela walks up to him. It's a pretty good scene where she, like, he's like, all right, if I, if I roll an eight, uh, you know, everybody wins. So, and he rolls the eight, and he kisses Angela, and Angela slaps him and walks away, and she's all smiley and stuff. Like, Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, that's also another weird bit too, because like, were they happy because like of their trickery, or do they have like this weird like punishment thing going on between them? You know? <laughs> well, it it is. It's I think it it shows a bit about how well I mean, there's a lot going on, right? Because like Dwight's super happy, so what does he do? He kisses Angela. So that you know lets Angela know that when he's happy, he wants to kiss her, and that makes probably makes her happy. Right, then right, right. you have the whole, they like sneaking around. 
Sure. So I think that's part of it. And then, you know, maybe it's fun to slap people sometimes. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, now I know something about you, Jacob. Um, yeah, I know. It is a fun little moment between the two of them, though. And uh, just, just one of those things. Craps is, like, my favorite casino game. Like, I don't, like, poker, I what I'm best at, and I really enjoy it. But in ter- if I'm just going to go, like, straight gamble, I just, I just want to go shoot some dice. I love, love playing craps. Yeah, I remember in college, I used to go to Atlantic City every spring break because uh, only old people were there at the time. And uh, I spent several hours in my room one trip watching YouTube videos on my phone trying to figure out how the hell to play craps. <laughs> uh, and I think I got the hang of it, but I still have no idea what happened, how I did. <laughs> uh, it's it's very cool. The, <laughs> the feeling of throwing dice is very fun, but... Well, you know, blackjack f- is easy. I can count to twenty-one. Let's <laughs> let's keep it. Let's keep well, the rules easy. craps, you get a lot more energy going on, you know, because every the, that's true. Especially well, if the like table's full, and, yeah, yeah, and you know it. Well, and like you said, everybody wins based on right. How a particular player, everybody does, can yeah. win. I remember yeah. one time, I got a, I was in Shreveport and I got on a, a bit of a heater, and this guy like I, you know, I rolled. The dice for like five five minutes straight, which is a long time of craps. Right. And the guy is like, "Hey man, I just you just made me two grand. Showed me like <laughs> these shows. I'm like, cool. I made seventy bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I, I was poor. You know, it was like five dollar right. bets. Whatever That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, there's another good uh, gym prank here, where for whatever reason Dwight is under the assumption that Jim is bluffing when Jim coughs. Right. Uh, and Jim doesn't know why, but when he coughs, Dwight folds. Or not bluffing, rather, when he's got a good hand. That's what it is. Right. Yeah. And so the question is, like, does he do it on purpose or he just like, huh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it started off with, and then he started doing it on purpose. Hmm. And I guess Dwight must have heard Jim cough, then play a good hand, and is like, oh, that's it. I need no more proof than this one instance. Right, and this kind of goes back to... Um, do what? The roulette thing? Maybe Jim's controlling. No, 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 no. With Dwight, uh, about how he's really good at reading people. It goes back to the uh, uh, investigation yeah. episode where he's like, you know, he's like, I can tell you're telling the truth, you know? Right. right. Well, also, this is just for like you know aesthetic stuff, but like Angel's hair in this episode, it's like fantastic. It's like all like tight and then loose in the back. I thought it was really pretty. It's got, it was really pretty. Uh, it reminds me kind of of her hair in uh, the the Christmas episode in season three, with the two competing party planning committees. Like she's got that weird, tight stuff going on in front. Mm-hmm. It's probably why she's so aggravated all the time. <laughs> her hair's being she's pulling her brain out of her skull. And this is the first episode where you really see Pam dressed up. Yeah, because I remember watching this episode for the first time, going, "Wow." She, uh, Jenna Fisher is a very pretty lady. She's a very pretty lady. Um, yeah, it's true. Actually, part of me wondered too, because it generally seems that everybody in the show is kind of not well off, right? Right. Um, everybody's always kind of poor. So it's a pretty nice dress. And I don't know anything about dresses, but it's a nice dress. And I'm, I was curious, like, oh, is that expensive? Is it not expensive? Is so, it just nice? Does she make it look nice? I don't know what's happening. So if there's any uh, ladies out there who have a thing, know anything about dresses, please let us know. Yeah. Uh, is that, it was actually kind of funny when I was watching this the first time through. 
um, I somehow missed Conflict Resolution Casino Night, like when it was first being aired. Okay. So I, I thought the season ended at drug testing. And then, like, one day during the summer, I caught the reruns. I was like, holy crap, there's two episodes I didn't see. I'm, like, sitting there, like, losing my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and they're big episodes, too. Because yeah. uh, then you start season three, and you're like, well, what the hell happened? <laughs> Luckily, I caught them before season three. But Yeah, that's... Um, there's, there's a great scene where... Jan and Carol are talking to each other. Yeah. Uh, and if you watch the background, like Michael starts to walk up and he just freezes. Right. And he's like, just, you see, like, turn around, just walk away. <laughs> well, he, he's kind of doing like this lingering thing a bit where mm-hmm. he's like trying to hear what they're saying, but also trying not to draw any attention. Um, yeah. And then eventually he just kind of <laughs> walks off camera, which is pretty nice. And there's also a funny visual just because, like, Jan has dark hair, Carol has light hair, Carol's hair is parted one way, Jan's hair is parted the other way. You know, mm-hmm. Carol's wearing a nice business suit, Jan's got, like, this edgy leather thing going on. Um, very different ladies, you know. Kind of a duality of man, <laughs> so, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> uh-uh. Um, let's see. So that happens. We find out that Ryan and Kelly are still dating because Kelly orders a drink with like a bajillion maraschino cherries in it. Uh, what was it? Uh, it was eight maraschino cherries, sugar on the rim, blended, blended if possible. Can. Yeah. I don't remember the exact drink. It was a seven and seven. It was seven, seven and, and seven. seven. Yeah. yeah. Which I don't, which I don't remember. I don't think I've ever had a seven and seven. Yeah, I have no idea. What, like I imagine it's some kind of 7-Up seven seven kind of thing, yeah. yeah. I'll have to look this up. Um, then the Kevin and Phyllis thing happens. Um, and then there's a bit where Roy actually ends up hiring Kevin. Yeah, he, just, he doesn't even care. He's just like, screw it. You're here. Yeah. Well, and it's great. Well, it does seem Roy actually likes the band, too. He's like, you guys rock. It's mm-hmm. like some phrasing he uses. So, you know, I may joke about Kevin's band and his shitty thing where he's not synced up with his own damn video, but Roy sees the value in it, so he gets hired, which so is pretty sweet. So here you go. A 7 and 7 is Seagram 7 Crown Whiskey and 7 Up. Okay. Got it. That makes sense. Um, there's another bit. So we were talking about Pam's pretty dress or whatever. And uh, as we all know, listeners of Great Scott Podcast, Jacob is a big fan of Jenna Fisher's eye movements in regards to her sincerity. So there's mm-hmm. a great bit where Jim and Pam are the only ones playing in this particular hand. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, Pam has a, a thing. And she's not bluffing, right? I guess her reaction is because she does have good cards. And Jim's right. trying to deduce, is she, is she playing them or not? And uh, eventually Jim loses, Pam wins. It's very adorable, very cute. Kevin's there. He's narrating. It's very nice moment. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Albert. Yeah. Which, um, you know, yeah. again, uh, couldn't see the hand or how it played out, but that's pretty much going to happen. I mean, because he had three nines versus a straight, and so I, I can see it. Right. I, I don't um, think he made the, uh, an incorrect call there. Right. Uh, well, this leads Jim to go outside where Jan is outside trying to figure out how she feels. 
smoking a cigarette, and we find out that Jim is actually pretty involved in this transfer to Stanford. Right, because um, um, Gene asked the um, asked if he had told anyone yet. Yeah, and he said no, and I got the impression that he had already uh, like, it. or at least at that, I got the impression that when he said that he had he had he was like I'm gonna do it. You know, that was right. his way of saying yes, I'm going to come. Well, because her first question is, have you thought about it more? And he says yes. Right. And then the question, yeah, so maybe he was still on the fence, but yeah, it definitely seems like at this stage he's it's much more going forward as opposed to mm-hmm. still trying to figure out, yeah. Um, and then that leads to another scene outside where Roy is leaving the party. So do we, do we get any indication why he left? Was he just like too drunk or like? Yeah, he said he was tired is what it was, um, which I don't think is totally unreasonable because if he is a warehouse guy, he was probably pretty right, and, active or you whatever. Know, a lot of the time those guys got to show up earlier. and Yeah, sometimes they work on weekends. So, yeah, it's a little more hectic, so I could see that. And also, I mean, it's a little weird because we know Roy does like to kind of drink and hang out and have a good time or whatever. Mm. So I don't know why he would leave, but um, he does. Uh, and then he does that bit where he tells Jim to keep an eye on Pam. There's also a comment too about uh, don't spend all our money to Pam in terms right. of betting, because also too, so I didn't really know how the casino night was organized, but I was under the impression that like maybe there was a general buy-in for everybody, and that's the money that goes to the charities, and then you just get like chips, like you don't buy more chips throughout the night, you know? Right. I kind of had that impression too. So it's really. Um... Because it's not like Pam would be spending more money than whatever it is they already spent, right? Right. Maybe it was just a joke. Um, maybe right. you could buy in again. You know, maybe yeah, maybe the chips had a certain value. Like I don't, I don't know. I don't know exactly how it worked, but I always con- was confused by that because it seemed like it was two different kind of setups. Right. Right. Um, but this is this is the scene. Mm-hmm. Two years of the office. Waiting for this scene, Jacob. They get a moment alone outside. And Jim says, I need to tell you something. And Pam, as adorable as she is, is foolishly trying to make jokes during this very serious time. Well, I, you know, she's, I think she's just, she's feeling good. She's happy. She's right. not drunk, but she's a little, probably a little, you know, a little tipsy, whatever. Right, right. And, you know, she, she, she finally won up Jim. It's something she probably doesn't do very often. Yeah, so she's just point. like, oh yeah, you know, kind of, kind of give him some business. Like, oh yeah, what up? I, you know, I smoked you, and then he's just like, right. I love you. I just need you to know that. And her response is perfect. She's like, what? What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I don't know how familiar you are with Chasing Amy, but yeah, I've seen it many times. It's one. Of, it's probably my favorite Kevin Smith movie. Yeah, I mean, it's popular opinion. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of what this scene resonates to me is like Ben Affleck and Joy Lauren Adams in that car on the rainy night. Mm-hmm. Because it's this instance where Jim says this thing and like, what does he expect to happen, you know? And I could see it from Joy Lauren Adam or Pam's perspective that it could be perceived as a selfish thing to do because it kind of upsets the balance of their friendship. But I also understand from that mentality of like, I just need you to tell this. I need you me to tell you this thing, 
you know, so they're kind of stuck in a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. Right. Um, but it happens, and I think I go in and out. Sometimes I'm a fan of it. I'm like, good job, Jim. And other times I'm like, oh, you fool. <laughs> well, I get why he did it. And right. I mean, there is, I mean, we, we were just talking about it, but like, there is this whole idea that maybe he shouldn't have. Right. But in the end, at some level, you still have to protect yourself. It, yeah. I don't, and I don't, and I think if he had never done it, he wouldn't have, he would never have been okay. Right. You know, so I did think he was sort of the way he did it was a bit douchey. Like the way he talked to her after he said, you know, you told her he loved her. I thought he was kind of douchey. He's like, I want more and all this other stuff. And like he seemed upset that she didn't reciprocate, but he he couldn't see that she was like her mind was just blown. And she was like trying to to put all the pieces back together. Yeah, I mean, they're both douchey, though, because then Pam says that crazy thing where, like, I'm sorry you misinterpreted our friendship. Right. Right. Which is like, because she's just trying to make sure that it's clear that Jim is the only one who feels this way. And she's lying, obviously. Right? Obviously. Um, so it's it's really both of them just kind of making it worse, you know, instead mm-hmm. of, like, talking it out and being like, I understand. And it's why it's such a bummer for them to have that weird conversation in the kitchen during the secret. Because Jim says this thing and Pam acknowledges and they're fine. And then he has to go and take that extra step to be like, but it was a long time ago. Don't worry about it. I'm over right, it. Right. And the same thing happens here, you know, where like mm-hmm. maybe they could be okay. And then they both start talking with their words. <laughs> with their words. Yeah. You know, it's it's a brave thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. Um, definitely done it in real life and it sucks. But, you know, so good. I guess good for Jim, bad for Jim. All I don't know. All the above. Yeah. Like, Retrospectively, obviously, they end together, so it's fine. You're right. But, uh, it also does add some, like, difficult things, right? There's mm-hmm. a bit where Roy will attack Jim and all types of weird, sad things. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's it's a major catalyst for, well, I mean, the rest like of the show, of really. Three, yeah. And most, yeah, most of season three. Um, and then we have this great scene upstairs in the office. With Jenna, Jenna Fisher, you know, Pam, she's talking to her mom. Right. About what happened. And she, she says, oh, um, says something about, she says something and then there's a silence and then Pam replies, I think I am. Is this a yeah. way, is, is, can we assume that she was saying that? she thinks she was in love with Jim too? Yes, I do. Here we go. Uh, the line is about 10 minutes ago. No, I didn't know what to say. Yes, I know. Um, I don't know. Mommy's my best friend. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, I think I am. Jim enters. I have to go. I will listen. Jim. And then right. that's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I think so. I mean, also too, because we kind of get that concept from when Jim, uh, Pam's mom visits later. And she's like, who's Jim? Like, am I going to meet Jim or whatever? Cause well, that was, that's already happened. That's what I'm saying. Right. So I think we should already know that Pam has mentioned Jim in favorable ways to her before. Right. It's, right. I think so, there's... I think from that one scene with Pam's mom, I think a lot of people can't... I think a lot of people see what Pam really is all about and being in love with Jim. 
and she's the one like Pam herself is the one who can't see it. Yeah, that's fair too. Yeah. Right. So if Pam is telling anecdotal stories to her mom mm. and her mom's like, You totally want to bone this dude <laughs> but Pam doesn't see it because she's like, I'm in a relationship with Roy, yada yada. Yeah. No, right. I think that's what was happening for sure. And so they kiss and all every office fan everywhere just loses their minds. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Except for the people who hate Pam, which are wrong. And I will fight you. I will I will join you in that fight. But they uh they have this great thing where like they kiss and they move apart and it just hangs there. And then the credits roll, it's completely silent. It's just perfect. It was like it's just a perfect ending for the episode and for the season. It's a, and it's a huge tone shift too. Like that last 5 minutes of this episode is like not a sitcom. It's right. become something else, yeah, and it's it's really great that they were able, and I think they pulled it off really well. Yes, I, I I'd agree, and you just had this like, I don't know. I mean, it because like I said, I didn't really see this episode till the new season about started. But if I'd watched it like when it premiered, and knew right. I'd wait all summer to see what happened next, I would have been losing my mind. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah. You know, now, you know, with Netflix, you're just like, oh, look, next episode. <laughs> but, you know, I, kids these days, they don't understand what it means to, like, have to wait for more episodes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anything else about this episode? Um, so, just an odd oddity, which actually comes back up, is the office has two thermostats. So there's the one certain the one in the back. Yeah. And there's one on the front wall above the couch. Uh near reception oh oh weird and so and when dwight buys the building he actually puts a box on it because uh-huh. I, was, I was thinking about that i'm like because when we saw the, the the thermostat war i'm like that's not the same thermostat that dwight you know locked up so right. there you go two thermostats i will say my office has two thermostats but it's for different parts right so i wonder i mean but that being said oscar would be in the same part i would assume as pam you would assume. Yeah, I would assume that, yeah. But maybe that thermostat's for, like, Michael's office in the conference room or something like that. Maybe. Who knows? But Who there knows. you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, before we do our season wrap-up of that, let's let's rate this puppy. Okay. Uh, so what did you do, sir? Uh, this is a great episode. This is one of the best, probably three or four best episodes in all the office. Uh, got good humor. It is a bit longer, so you have you know because it's twenty nine minute runtime instead of the normal twenty two. A um, lot happens, you know, bombshells, the whole thing. So I mean, I, I'm giving giving this the big one, the five out of five. Whoa! Yep, five wow. out of five. Creed loves to steal things. Um, well, this is definitely on my top ten, uh, but I did not give it five out of five. That's huge, but. Again, very close. 4.5 out of 5 free fridges. <laughs> that was a great line. It's a throwaway line you can barely hear, but when Creed wins, it's like, thanks, I've never had one before. Yep, and he just splits right away. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it's awesome. All right, so before we jump into Season 3, uh, let's talk about thoughts about Season 2 real quick. Uh, uh, you know, for the longest time, I thought Season 2 was the best season. Yeah. Because um, it's really incredible. Um but the more I think about it, I think season three might be better. Uh-huh. But it's still easily 
top two, top three best seasons in the office. The nice part about it, I think part of it is because it does start out a little slow because the characters aren't fully developed. Right. But by the end of the season, everyone is pretty much developed. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's one of those things where normally if you have a normal or semi-normal first season, that's basically where you'd end up at the end of the first season. Right. So, yeah, I agree that um, season two is going to be one of the top three best seasons of the whole show. Uh, but similarly, I also think season three is a bit better. Um, this lays a lot of that groundwork for the Jim Pam things, for all the other characters to start getting their own storylines and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's fine, but it's definitely a little bit more, um, what's that word? Expositiony. Mm, yeah. So season three, we get to like all the characters get to be fun instead of like being boring so that they could be fun later, you know? Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, it's good. They're definitely top three. Mm. Would you, would you give it a rating? How would you rate this season? I'd probably give it similar to casino night. Something like something in between a four and a five out of five. Okay. Yeah. If you're going to pick one episode from this season to be your favorite, which one is it? Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to say it's going to be. Well, I definitely think I gave Casino Night the highest review, but in terms of like my favorite from this one, it's probably going to be. Oh, this is tough. (laughs) There's so many good ones here. I mean, maybe it's The Dundies. The Dundies is really good. Probably my favorite. Um, it's toss-up between email surveillance and Christmas party. Mm. I both really like those episodes. I think they're really funny. So, <clears throat> yeah, no, those are good. Some those are some good choices. Mm-hmm. So here we go into season three. So we start off with episode number twenty-nine with Gay Witch Hunt. Um, it was directed by Ken Quapis. Written by Greg Daniels. The same team, I think. Yeah, looks that way. Um, so I got to say, this is one of my favorite episodes. My, uh, I have a lot of friends who, like, you know, do different things in their, uh, you know, their participation in, like, the gay community and stuff like that or whatever. So when I, when I was starting to do this show and I was watching this episode, I was telling them, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is, like, my favorite episode. And a lot of them were like – some of them were like, yeah, it's great. And other ones were like, well, it's kind of weird because of, like, Michael's, like, <laughs> lack of understanding about, like, gayness is kind of off-putting to them. And it's hard. I mean, I think if you if you watch the whole show and then come back, it makes more sense, right? Because you really got to get an idea of who Michael is. Right. But on the other hand, this is three years into the show. So if they haven't done a good enough job to show that Michael would be this ignorant, but you're still supposed to like him, then maybe the show didn't do a great job either. So I see both sides. But Man, I, I mean, I don't know. Because I remember watching this when it premiered, and it was like, yep, that's exactly what Michael would do in this situation. <laughs> I, yeah, I, no, I, thought I was I, like, this is completely in Michael's character. Yeah, no, I'm definitely with you. Um, but it was interesting to hear what people who had a dog in the fight had to say about it. Like, if they were a gay person in that office, how they would feel about it. Right. Uh, and they would probably feel much more how Oscar feels with yelling and pushing and calling him out. But we'll we'll get there, though. Right. Uh, I mean, this this in no, no way out around it, in no uncertain terms, this episode would have gotten Michael fired. Quickly. Yes. Like, day of... No pension, nothing. Right. 
So uh, uh, this is one of the more just egregious, like, yep, Michael will get fired. Yeah, it's true. Um, okay, so does this one have a cold open? No. So it basically starts with the shot from last season. But right. But it was reshot. Because uh, that, I guess they only shot up until what they showed in uh, Casino Night. So they had to reshoot for more of that conversation. Mm-hmm. So they reshot the kiss so they could have Jim and Pam kind of talk about next steps or whatever. Right. Um, which ends in Pam saying that she can't. It's over, whatever. And then uh, Jim leaves and now he doesn't well, work there anymore. There's a couple of interesting things in this. So first, Pam tries to pass off the kiss. She's like, oh, we're probably just drunk. Right. And he's like, are you drunk? He's like, no. And so, like, I don't know, I guess, I guess Payne was feeling bad about what she had done. Maybe that's why, like, she said that. And then, then uh, Jim asked Pam, are you, are you really going to marry him? And she says, yes. And Jim has this look on his face of just quiet acceptance. Like, he, he got what he needed out of this. He told her. You know, the whole bit. And, uh, you know, it just seemed like he was okay with it. Like, all right. You know, I tried. Right. And, you know, maybe that's just what... Maybe that's what he just needed to do was just, I got to try. Yeah, I think there's a point where, like, just for him, like, he just needs to know, like, what he's doing with his life. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't want to work there anymore because he's not really doing anything for himself. And there's no purpose for him to stay because he's got no chance with Pam, you know? Right. So it's kind of just everything he needed for him to move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's that. But so he does move on. So he now works in Scranton. Stanford. Stanford. Sorry. Stanford, Connecticut. Um, so just like kind of overall before we – dive too far into this too do you have thoughts on how jim being in stanford is handled like visually for everybody um i liked it i thought they did a pretty good job with it you know it's good that the the offices look really different yeah so it's very easily to very visually easy to tell where they're at at, you know each time um yeah i I thought they did a fine job you you never really see jim doing anything not at the office when he's in Stanford. Right. Like I, I can't remember anything like, you know, him out at a bar or whatever in Stanford, which I think would probably would have been pretty cool. But, but there's really what's, uh, it looks like, yeah, there's only seven episodes before the merger episodes. That's when he comes back. So I guess there's just a lot going on. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree because I feel like we don't see – there's like two or three episodes that come to mind that are like important of him over there. Mm-hmm. Aside from that though, he's like filler, right? Little bits here where he kind of fills in the blank for the Gator bit. Right. Um, some cold open pranks that he does. Call of Duty is a pretty big one. Call of Duty. Well, and we also start to see the starting of the Karen-Jim relationship. Right. You know, so 
Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting because the only characters we really get to see over there are, um, who the hell is it? Josh, uh, yeah, Andy, Josh Andy, and Karen. Right. Right. And the one blonde chick in the background that Andy says is batshit crazy. That's exactly right. <laughs> Something that always throws me off is I always forget just how early Andy shows up. Because it, I don't know, for some reason it never felt like he was there for as long as he, he was. Right. And he was essentially there for 160 episodes, 70 episodes, something like that. Yeah, I mean, he similarly takes like this weird absentee thing um, where he goes to anger, anger management. management. Yeah. Well, and um, when he goes on his boat right, in season nine. That's true too. Yep. Um, so, but yeah, generally he's he's in it for the long haul. Uh, I mean, he might be in it more than Michael. Oh right? yeah, because Michael he's in what season six? Yeah. yeah, season six. So he's there seven and eight as well. Yeah, so that's kind of huge. In part of nine. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, okay, so that, that's it. I just wanted to kind of, because I, I was thinking while I was watching it, I was like, it's, we see so little. It's, it becomes more prevalent during the merger episode, <clears throat> or rather branch closing episode. Um, but we really see so little of that office. Like, we don't know who their receptionist is. We don't know if uh, Jim is friends with anybody over there, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, listeners, this is going to start the great debate is over Andy. Because I hate Andy, right. and <laughs> I love him. <laughs> like he's such a terrible person, especially in the start. Like he sort of has this weird, um, this weird arc where he starts terrible, gets okay, then becomes terrible again. He ends terribly, but I don't blame him. I blame the showrunners. I will write them letters every day. Those bastards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, but let, let's let's kick into the episode. All right, so we get in. So the the whole thing with this is Michael is upset, or Oscar got upset because Michael called him faggy. Yeah. And so it comes out, so, you know, Toby is getting on to Michael. Michael's not really caring. He's like, look, Oscar is actually gay, and he's hoping on your discretion to keep it to yourself. Which was a big mistake, right? Never should, <laughs> never should hope for Michael's discretion on a secret, ever. Yeah. Um. I mean, everybody treats it really weird, right? Because even um, when Jan comes in later in this episode, like she pretty much blatantly like begs, it gives a big wave to Oscar specifically about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um. So really, only Toby's the only one who treats it with any type of like secrecy. Um, it's kind of terrifying and not to get too serious here, but like in a whole day, Oscar's whole life kind of unravels because of Michael. Yeah. You know, it's kind of tough anyways. So yeah, gets called faggy for loving Shakespeare and love instead of die, die hard. hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I gets referenced quite a bit in this show. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely like, a time period like late eighties and early nineties of movies that Michael really pulls from. It's why you get things like Caddyshack and Ghostbusters and all that. Right. But Um, you also get the, um, 
the diehard stuff in season nine with um, Aaron and uh, Pete. Fart? <laughs> plop. Plop. That's what it is. Plop. I hate him. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's true. Uh, we're going to have so many fun discussions. <laughs> I mean, it's probably, I mean, it's, again, it's just really the writer's personalities coming out, right? Like, obviously, they like Die Hard, so they're going to make their characters like Die Hard, too. Right. It, you know, I think everyone all, you know, does does it pretty well, handles everything pretty well. Kevin just laughs and is talking to us like, <laughs> yeah, you know, which I didn't think was a big deal. Angela doesn't take it very well. Uh, yeah, my my girlfriend was helping me watch this episode again, um, and she pointed out that Kevin laughs at Oscar being gay, like someone who is under the influence of something laughs at like a color, like there is just no reason, you know. There's just like this thing, and he just giggles uncontrollably. His face gets red. He's tearing up a little. Um, his eyeballs are basically gone because his face is just so squishy with joy yeah it's pretty uh it's a pretty great kevin moment and then you know oscar just gets to like the screw up point where he's like you know what i'm gay i wasn't gonna tell y'all but it's true whatever screw you guys um so yeah i mean so really the episode aside from the gym stuff is just oscar and the office trying to deal with that whole thing of course it culminates into a conference room meeting of course. Uh, yep, where they try to talk about those kinds of things with homosexuality and people kind of accepting it or what have you. Um, it is revealed here that Phyllis and many of her classmates thought Michael was gay because he was always wearing suits, mm-hmm. as we knew from uh, that kid show, whatever the hell it was called. Uh, Fondle Bundle. Fondle Bundle, that's it. Um <laughs> And of my, you know, Michael is a little too macho for that, so he he laughs it off, and that starts this whole thing. <clears throat> and then we get to this great moment where Oscar tells Michael off for his, you know, ignorance and insensitivity and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. Now, the best part about this scene is this improvised moment that's about to happen right after this, right? So, Michael, uh, Oscar rather has apologized to Michael, which is ass backwards because right. Michael's in the wrong here, but he does. Uh, and Michael decides to show good faith by kissing Oscar. Apparently, totally improvised. So the shot of Ryan and Pam and like their wide mouth, you know, kind of death glare at this whole thing is like totally 100% them really responding to what's happening without knowing. Uh, which is awesome, and then they kiss, and it's just as awkward as you'd want a man-on-man kiss to be in the office. <laughs> and then Dwight tries to do it. Tries to do yeah, it. yeah, which is also great too. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. No, I mean, I just think it's super funny the whole episode. You know, I, I really feel for Oscar, but he ends up being okay at the end of it, which is why I think it's okay to laugh. Mm-hmm. But it's just a fun episode. To, like we see Michael out of his depth again but in a different way than he was in season two where he was like constantly wrong, constantly wrong and doesn't learn anything here. It's like, he's wrong, but he keeps trying to make up for it. And he's just way off base. Mm -hmm. It's like a nicer Michael, like starting season three, I think is a Michael that people can start liking, you know? Right. Yeah. You know, sort of backtrack. Cause that was sort of more near the end of the episode. But so we had this bit where Andy's talking about Jim, about how he's like one of those guys who would, you know, slit your throat to get ahead and all this stuff. It's like, man, Andy, you really have no idea of anything about Jim. Right. 
And then we have the whole Karen making fun of, like, Jim. So Josh says something about having to go through diversity training or or whatever because of something that happened in Scranton. And Jim gives this really, like, Jim look to the camera. And then Karen's like, he's always, you know, doing this. You know, she's, like, giving the, the Jim look with the shrugged shoulders to Karen. Like, what's all that all about? Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> and then, you know... Oscar realizes that he's super cool because he's gay, and there's some other ones. You were like Jan, Jan's there, and he's Michael's like, I, you know, I watch this. I watch queer as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which I think is also awesome too. Just such a good, good joke. Uh, so Michael says something like. How do we know that Angela and Oscar aren't having a gay affair? Yep. And they kind of do at the, you know, with the whole Senator thing, with that weird love triangle they were in. Yeah, that is definitely accidental, um, you know, foreseeing the future. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's like some just super awesome writer out there. Yeah, I'm not going to give them that much credit. <laughs> <laughs> so. An observation I made in this episode is Pam sort of tries to have the same kind of fun with Ryan that she had with Jim. Right. And so a part of me wonders, like, if Ryan had responded in kind, like, maybe they would have hooked up eventually. Oh, no, I didn't get that at all. Um, yeah, no, I think... I don't know. I think cause I think there's moments where Pam really doesn't want to believe that she likes Jim the way she does. So what she's trying to do, I think, is to prove to herself that she could have this camaraderie with another person. Mm, you know. Okay. And it's kind of like falling flat because Ryan is like not a team player at all. That's that's what I was getting. Yeah, I don't think at all she was ever going to let anything happen between her and Ryan. You know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um. I mean, it is a funny bit, though. He says we are all homos, right. homo, homo sapiens, sapiens. Yeah. and Ryan just doesn't think it's funny. But Ryan probably doesn't think it's funny too because of like his t- total disgust with Michael always trying to hit on him, anyways. <clears throat> right. Um, okay. Uh, so yeah, we get a good Creed bit too, where he's like talking about like, no, I don't have a problem with homosexuality. In the sixties, I. Uh, you had sex with lots of women, sometimes in the, the rain and the mud, and a man could slipped in. There's just no way to tell. Yeah. Oh, good old hippie greed. I mean, I just assume that he never was banged by a dude. Because I think at that point you could tell. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think that's, you know, I, I think he's, he's, otherwise he's way too chill. I think it's just important to know what's happening in or around your different orifices. Let's <laughs> uh, so also find out when this is when Phyllis announces she's marrying Bob Vance. Yep. Um, and you know, Dwight's kind of an asshole about it, like, oh yeah, look, there's proof that we uh, some some something for everybody. Da, da, da. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Yeah, and let's see. Uh oh, there's a, there's one more great line about you know Michael's just like ineptitude about this. He's like he's like oh look it's Gil 
Oscar's roommate. I wonder mm-hmm. if he knows. Right. It's like, oh, come on, Michael. <laughs> um, and then we also do see Jim with the gaydar bit um, looking for whatever. I don't know how it's triggered. It's just got to be a metal detector it's going off their belt buckles, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's great because not only is Oscar gay, so is Dwight. Yes. Like, oh no, uh, that was great. But there, you see Pam start to laugh, and again, it's all in the eyes of Pam. But <laughs> like she, uh, she gets super like she starts to laugh and she loves it, and then like it just shifts from loving it to uh, it sort of like this missing, and then like at the very end, she's just sad. Yeah, it's like a just, sad reflectiveness thing. Yeah, and it was just so great. So great. Um, so any other thoughts before we wrap this one up then? Uh, I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big opener. It's a big opener because uh, you meet new characters. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good. I, th- I think they did a good job of not trying to force the new characters in so quickly. You know, so that 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 was good. Um, I I did find it funny that at the near the end of the episode, you see the Stanford branch going through the hero training from Diversity oh, Day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Um. So reviews. What did what did you think? Uh, this is a good one. I, actually, I like this a lot more than I remember liking it. Hmm. Uh, so, cause there's lots of funny stuff, you know, the whole stuff with the gay porn was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, it's really good, really good episode all the way around. So I'm going to give this a 4.1 out of five chicken or fishes. Cause nice. this is the way to talk about it, about how, uh, they were eating all their wedding food <laughs> cause they had to pay for it. I know that's nuts, man. I mean, I'm surprised they had the freezer space for it, but, um. Yeah, I uh, I mean, this is one of my favorite episodes. I'm probably rating it low. And if I can't give this one a 5 out of 5, then I might not end up giving any episode a 5 out of 5, which means I just don't know how to rate these episodes. But I I gave this one a 5.5 out of 5 action movies. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, honestly, and I'll just say it too. So we're going to fight a lot about the last couple seasons of this show. But season 3 is like my favorite season. This is my office heyday, you know. Um, yeah, I, I'm up there with you. Um, season three is a great season, but it's, it's always one of those things. The more I watch the show, the more I start to like the seasons I really didn't like. Mm, yeah, like, I used to hate season five, and now I actually really enjoy it. Well, I will say too something that I've noticed, especially with different shows, where I feel like they kind of fall off at the end, is that sometimes that waiting, like you watch an episode and then you have to wait a week, mm-hmm. is why you didn't like it. Because that episode wasn't fulfilling alone. So waiting for another episode is what also adds to that disappointment. But if you could binge watch them, the dis- the sad things or the things that aren't so great, kind of, you could ignore easier because then you just move on to the next thing so much quicker. Um, so I think that's reasonable, too, to kind of have that stuff grow on you. But I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm not there yet. It hasn't grown on me. It, you know, this is a bit off topic, but I'm one of the few people who really liked season nine. So... Uh, and that's fair. You know, I uh, I mean, yeah, that's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We'll get there. And you know what? I, I, and it's going to be really exciting if I end up really liking all of those last seasons. 
so that we're doing it and I'm like I come to the show and I have this renewed interest in the office and it's ending and how like cathartic it is but right now I'm like dreading it <laughs> <laughs> okay so <laughs> we are into our final episode of the night uh, episode 2 of season 3 The Convention written by Greg Gene Stupinski and Lee Eisenberg directed by Ken Whittingham yeah. And this episode is about them going to a basically paper supply convention, you know, to interface with paper suppliers and all sorts of <laughs> other stuff. So, so we yeah, open Mike, up. Michael says something like, um, he said he like really talks it up. He's like, "What's a place that's like, like a booze fueled sex, sex romp?" romp yeah. <laughs> So this episode opens up sort of a cold open and, you know, Mike wants to adopt a kid because he watched Oprah and Angelina Jolie was on there. And it, he's like, I want you to research how much it would cost to uh, get a get a Chinese baby. I think it's, I think it's what he's, he, yeah. he said. And Pam just like keeps trying to talk him out of it. Like it's a thousand dollar application fee, eight month waiting list. And he's like. I don't even want. I don't even know if I want a child in eight months. Right. <laughs> and then they have this agreement that um, if in twenty years neither of them have had a child, it was thirty years. Finally agrees to thirty. You're right. Yes, yes. thirty. So that is um, Pam's limit. And I got to say, honestly, if if I were Michael, and I have an agreement with Pam that in thirty years, there's a chance, um, if I am not actively going after another lady, I would be always sabotaging any relationship she has. <laughs> that would like that should be his only goal in life um, until Holly shows up. And it's not, and I don't know what's going through his mind. He doesn't know what he's missing out on. Uh, hopefully your girlfriend doesn't listen to this show because the way Oh, you... she does and she knows. <laughs> she does and she knows. <laughs> It's kind of like a, a we were me, me and my wife we were watching football one day, and I, I just straight up told her I was like, "Look, if you left me for JJ Watt, I'd be sad, but I'd get it. I'd understand if you did." Yeah, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, because uh, my girlfriend's cool and she works in the city and all that, she went to a screening of this film called The Hollers, which is a uh, John Krasinski, John Kransky, Krasinski's in it. All right, and it's um, I think he wrote it. Or he directed it. He, did one he of those directed things. it, and it's also got uh, Anna Kendrick. Anna, Anna Kendrick. I was thinking Allison yeah. Brie. I'm like, no, that's the wrong A name. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so she went to this screening somewhere cool, and um, as she was entering the theater, he was leaving. <laughs> and I told her, I was like, listen, I get it. If you have to, you can make out with them. But like, <laughs> you know, that's it. So so we do. So we understand when these things happen that you know. It's better to put it up front. You know, I'd be real disappointed if she told me later that she had to bang him and I didn't know. I'd rather she tell me before and then I could sit there knowing what's happening. And similarly, Jenna Fisher walks in wearing what she's wearing in Blades of Glory. I think it's fair. If you remember, she had that corset number going on. Or and if you didn't see it, you should watch it just for that scene. Uh, I have seen it, but it's been a long time. <clears throat> yeah, just give it a Google then, man, because... Uh, that's uh, that's some great visuals there. <laughs> so, uh, so we. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. 
Oh man. Okay. Yeah. So uh, so we get that cold open about Oprah and the baby, um, and then so we start off with Michael's like checklist before he goes. You know, so he gets his per diem from Angela. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan's helping him go down the things that he should bring: uh, three pairs of jeans, uh, three shirts, fun jeans, which are these horribly white jeans that I don't know why they're more fun than other jeans, but they're his fun jeans. Miami Vice, baby. Yeah. Uh, three boxes of condoms. Yes, he's a... <laughs> I mean, he's been to this convention before. I don't know what he... Why, but it's fine. A guy can dream, you know? The self-delusion of Michael. That's what's happening, yeah. Um, Creed has this really great bit, too. He's all like, I saw you handing out some shekels earlier. Like, how do I get in on it? Um, so who uses shekels? And then uh, after some dialogue, Angela storms out of the room, and then Creed introduces himself to Meredith, who he referred to as the redhead during conflict resolution. So it's like, mm-hmm. well, and he didn't even get Angela's name right. He didn't right. call her Angela. I was like, it started with an A, but it definitely wasn't Angela. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so like this is when we just like full on space cadet Creed, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it's great. And for what and we, for whatever reason, taking the slow train from Philly in your in the in the Martin household means you're a slut, which I don't really get the reference here. Yeah, uh, let's let's give it a quick Google. Yeah, because I wonder if it's just something they made up. Slow train from or to Philly? Uh, slow train from Philly. I've written down a slow train from Philly. Slow train from Philly. Huh. No, I mean, there's only Urban Dictionary and then Office Quotes. Hmm. Yeah, phrase which refers to promiscuous, promiscuousness of a female. Quote, I heard that chick has slept with a lot of dudes. Quote, I know, she took the slow train from Philly. Yeah, I think it must have originated from The Office because I don't see anything else. It's just a weird say. It's weird, yeah. Maybe that's why her and Dwight work, because they both came from some weird-ass families. I think that's what it is for sure, yeah. <laughs> and so the, the convention is really the A, you know, A storyline. The B storyline is it's Pam's first date in nine mm-hmm. years. With right. the cartoonist from the Scranton Times, I guess. Yep. So everyone's kind of giving her advice. So Kelly's like... You know, don't sleep with him on the first date. Gives him all the power. Um, don't. Uh, Michael's like, I should un- unbutton that top button. Let those let those uh, <laughs> girls breathe, which is very much sexual harassment. Very much so. <laughs> Phil's is like, get order the most expensive expensive thing on the menu, so they know you're worth it. Stanley and Stanley says, but you'll have to put out. And Phil's is like, oh yeah, you'll have to put out. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. feel bad for Pam because she's getting all this terrible advice. These people are supposed to be your friends. Yeah, it's rough. Um, but that's a funny glimpse, too, into, like, Phyllis's own, like, sexual philosophies, you know? Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, order the most expensive thing, but you're going to have to bang that dude pretty hard. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, okay, I mean, so that, but that, happens, that really yeah. shows, of like, sort of who Phyllis is for pretty much the rest of the show about how she... Like that's just how she she operates. You, you right. buy the most expensive thing. You, you know, you just if you want it, you take it. That's just what yeah. you do. You know, that's and it. that's that's kind of how she is for the rest of the the show. Easy rider. 
Easy Rider. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and then the other storyline, uh, well, being at the convention too, though, is also kind of Jim and Michael centric. You know, Michael mm-hmm. struggling with his own feelings on why Jim left, and not only is the uh, the concept of his branch possibly closing, but Josh being there and being like this cool guy is bothering him, and then Jim leaving and hanging out with Josh bothers him. So. So, so Jim and Pam are definitely kind of at the front of these two storylines in some regard. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to see kind of where they are, and then there's a nice moment that we'll get to later where they kind of cross over. But um, yeah, I really wish Toby had gone after Pam at least just a little bit. I think it would have been a good uh, a good storyline that he could have strung out for a couple episodes. Yeah, because what is it? Is it uh, goodbye Toby when we find out that Pam like thought toby was kind of cute right and but we also get some other uh stuff with it because in oh what's the name of the episode in the whenever they go to the bar when everyone just goes to the bar um oh sure yeah yeah yeah. (sighs) right because then toby is off trying to win that stupid stuff duck for her right and we figure out that um you know, Pam, she has a throwaway line of something like, oh, I was really looking forward to hanging out with you. Right. So, you know, there is some kind of a, it seems like there is a little bit of an attraction there to begin with. Right. But I think, I mean, that's also part of like Toby's lot in life, right? Right. Like he's always going to be the Charlie Brown, you know? Yeah. The the sad sack. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I see what you're saying, but I think really only the hardcore Toby lovers are going <laughs> to Feel too bad about it, yeah. I, mean, I just feel bad that he doesn't get anything. He never gets anything good in the entire show. Who? I mean, whose wedding is it that he's got that date, that pretty lady date? Is it Pam's wedding? Jim and Pam? Uh, yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Or is it Phyllis? I forget who, but he's got that attractive lady from the uh, gym, and everybody thinks it's a prostitute. Right. Um, okay, so we continue on. Um yeah, so this yeah. They set up like how just how douchey Josh is cuz he's like, "Hey, I heard you're talking to Michael." He's like, "Hey, I heard you're a great salesman and you know, if my branch observes your branch, there'll be a place for you." And, like that's just a dick move to do. To yeah, somebody, that you that, know? that that is rough, yeah. Cuz generally I like him. Yeah. Josh. But I mean, it de- it definitely stuff, sets yeah. up his personality to where when he does what he does with Staples, it's not a shock. It's something we've kind of talked about before, but the the writers do a really good job of, even if it's just like little lines, of setting up people's personalities so when people do things, it's not a surprise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, and then, of course, Michael and Jan is still kind of a thing. Michael has to reiterate that he is dating Carol and nothing mm-hmm. can happen between him and Jan, and Jan is like, get away from me. Step away um, from Michael. Yeah, and that kind of looms over the whole bit too while they're away. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, the focus though for Michael is throwing this party in his hotel room, which mm-hmm. we haven't even got to. Um, he has a nice room by the elevator for foot traffic. He brought a bunch of booze and a magnetic dartboard. I was looking yeah. at it, I'm like, that's a, like two hundred bucks worth of booze. Yeah, because it's heavy stuff. Yeah, and um, 
And he's just going around the convention trying to invite people. The man in the Blackberry <laughs> mascot outfit. Um, that one football he's player. Totally he's totally molested. Yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah. That football player is Jerome Bettis. That's it. Um, I don't know a lot about sports ball. Hall of Fame running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So at least they got yeah. a Pennsylvania guy, you know, a team yeah. to, to represent there. Um, yeah, and so he just tries to, like, get this party going, and he's just, like, he's just certain it's going to be awesome. And, right. You know, and it's just not going to be. Yeah, it's very unfortunate. But um, he tries to have a drink with uh, Jim and Josh early in the morning. Um, and that just kind of fuels the Michael not liking Josh thing because of some inside jokes. Yes, Perhaps and one of the great the Michael quotes where he's like, "I love inside jokes. I would love, I would love to be a part of one someday." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very sad. <laughs> um, yeah. So then it's just like Josh constantly one up in Michael throughout this whole episode. Josh has email on his cell phone because he has a BlackBerry. Michael still got this old flip phone, and right. he's constantly out of the loop a bit. And no one comes to his party. Um, but there's this nice moment, and we could jump back if I've missed anything. But Michael gets this huge sale with a hammer mill, which is a big paper company product. Mm. Um, and fun fact, as a real world note, but hammer mill was actually selling the office branded paper at Staples, uh, <laughs> at least when the show was going out, yeah, which is pretty great. Um, yeah, but so Michael gets this deal and Jan is very impressed with his salesman prowess. Um, and he says there's also other great line. He was like, well, maybe next time you should. What does he say? Because she says something like, well, I underestimated you. Next time, maybe you should estimate me. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, which is awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, but so you know, again, it's just another instance that Michael is not as useless as everybody else treats him, and he knows it. You know, he does have this skewed sense of how the world perceives him, but he does is able to put his money where his mouth is when it counts. You know, mm. and to backtrack a bit. So Pam goes out with this cartoonist dude, who is just a douche. Like giant, yeah. giant douche, and she's like, "Yeah, you can definitely tell he thinks he's gonna get some, and then he doesn't." And like, I don't know, it, it was it was just so cringeworthy. Like, you watch that episode, you watch that bit, and you're like, "Oh, you just feel bad for everyone who's ever had a bad day because that was just terrible." Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's how it goes. It's weird that uh, Kelly and Ryan are there. I mean, it was Kelly's contact, I think. Like, she knew this guy? Yeah, I think it was supposed to be a double date kind of thing, so Pam knew people. Yeah, but Ryan's not having any of it, right? He's like, I hate ketchup, because, like, you love ketchup. (laughs) And then, like, he tells, like, the the dude, like, totally, like, looks down Pam's shirt. It's tough, yeah. Come on. (laughs) And then there's a really good scene at the end where uh, Jim talks to, to Michael, like, look, I'm wasn't a, it was never about you it was about Pam um, you know you're a great boss which that's not true but you know you, you knew how to make him feel okay and so by the end of the episode Michael feels really good and you know Michael calls him his or Jim calls Michael his friend and that really makes Michael happy right it's like we're friends best friends yeah, and it's always Michael always like taking like a nice sincere thing like a little too far to like yeah. the creepy space, but uh 
and, okay. and, I, and I, I did like we were talking about it just a second ago, but I did really like that scene where Michael's like, "Well, maybe you should estimate me," because he's like just spitting fire at Jan, and I, I thought that was a pretty good scene. He's, yeah, yeah, and it all happens by accident too. Like that's how good Michael is. He didn't. He was just at that Harrow booth to play the paper folding airplane throwing game against Josh, you know, and it right. turns out it's going to be this huge coup for Dunder Mifflin as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's another like really iconic shot of Jim walking down a hallway toward a room that is blasting a Girls Gone Wild remix song with like flashing lights bleeding into the hallway. And then uh, you turn the corner and he's just sitting there on his grumpy chair, kind of like curled up into a ball, like staring angrily out a window. Um, yeah, it just, it's just it's a really fun episode for sure. And so one thing we, we, we'd be remiss for not talking about is at some point, because Dwight and Angela have a fight. And yes. then at some point, Angela or they t- together decide that she will meet them in Philly. Right. Uh, so there's there's a key waiting for for her under Jane Doe, which because obviously it's Dwight, he's going to be silly like that. Yeah. Um, and then he uh, and Jim's like, Jim Jim has a bit where he's like, oh yeah, you know, I felt really bad for all those things I I did to Dwight. Then he talked. Yeah. <laughs> then he spoke, and so he's like, I wonder how hard it'd be to get a key to his room. And he does somehow. Right. And he finds Angela in the first place his brain goes to is, oh my God, Dwight got a hooker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Uh, and then, of course, you feel bad for Angela because who knows what she was doing uh, when uh, Jim opens that door. Nothing like too, you know, uh, provocative, I'm sure, because it's Angela, but. You know, maybe she was wearing a very suggestive, fully covered nightgown or something <laughs> like that. You know, looking like a ghost. Oh, uh, you know, like Angela seems like the person who's got a pretty good uh, underwear collection at home. Yeah, good is an interesting choice of words. <laughs> like she, I don't know. She always seems like that sort of. That uh, she's crazier. Is she's crazier by herself? Then, I see what you're trying to say, yeah. yeah no, I, I mean, that could be. She's a bit more wild when she's just like her. I mean, I could still see it going the other way, too. That, like, if or technically when uh, Dwight and Angela, like, are living together, like, they're that kind of household that have two separate beds, you know, with, like, separate nightstands and stuff, like, very, like, um, honeymooners style, you know? Right, right. Yeah. And then to round out the episode, there's a great bit. It's sort of like a cold close where they they pull pull the black light in the uh, uh-huh. in the hotel room. It's like see, and there's all those spots. Like I hope it's either blood, semen, or urine. And Michael's like, I just I hope it's urine. What would you prefer? Would you go with urine also? <sighs> I guess I don't know. It's it's a lose lose also. But yeah, yes, I think yes. I'm with you. Yeah, it is one of those things where. I used to travel a lot for work, and so I've, I've stayed in a lot of hotels. It's like, don't think about it. That's what I tell people. It's like, don't think about what's happened there before. To the best of your knowledge, no one's ever been in that room ever. Right, <laughs> so right, I yeah. like to sort of maintain that. <laughs> All right. Oh, so, uh, sorry, one real thing, too, and I forgot about this. I wrote this down, though. There was a, there's a deleted scene where Jan 
kind of tries to pick up Josh. Yeah, so uh, there's a bit here where Jan uh, says, Josh, um, why don't you come up to my room for a couple minutes and we can just go over the schedule for tomorrow. Josh says, can we go over breakfast? Can we do it over breakfast? And Jan says, maybe a quick drink. Uh, and then Josh kind of like, he's like, oh, no, no, no. runs away or whatever. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting to cut this out, though, because it seems like Michael's like a mistake, right? Right. But this scene kind of clo- uh, ties closer to Jan's like actual representation later on in the show, how she's like kind of crazy and like we all assume that she's banging her uh, assistant Hunter, you know, just kind of like. You know, like maybe most people like let Jan do what she does and they're like, don't think of it, right? Michael's like the weird guy who becomes attached to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think it's an interesting scene that they cut out. And I get it too. It it raises too many questions, you know? But Yeah, it raises a lot of questions that it would have been hard to answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we were going to explore it again until like season four, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so that's about it. Uh, so I, I will rate this episode. Okay. And I gave it 2.8 out of 5 the buses. <laughs> it's a very funny episode, but uh you know, it's it's not one of the greats. Uh yeah, to me. I my rating is almost identical to yours. Yeah. Um I think it's a good like sort of resetting episode cuz you're into the new season in the last three episodes have been really big. Lots of stuff going on. This just kind of gets back to the funny, so to speak. Right. Right. So right. I gave this 2.9. Like I said, real mm. close out of yeah. five freedom fries. There you go. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So next week we will be doing grief counseling, initiation, Diwali and branch closing. Wow. You know, it's interesting. We do four episodes per show, so sometimes, like this week and next week, we cover really big story arcs. Mm-hmm. That's um, yeah. kind of the nice part about doing it this way, so we can kind of track them. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. Uh, you can email us at brokenjarsbroadcasting at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on YouTube and Twitter, I think. We're everywhere. Um <laughs> We're on Instagram, so check us out, uh, and yeah, let us know what you think. Uh, we're fairly active on the uh, the subreddit, Dunder Mifflin yeah. subreddit, which is a great place for all Office fans. I'd highly recommend it. So yeah, so everyone, hope you all have a good night or morning or whatever, and I'll see you next time. Bye.